0: Well, uh, Psalm 56, as I said, is the sermon passage this morning. Hopefully, you've already turned and marked your spot there. If not, you can uh, try to do that now. But I've um, I've titled this sermon, Trusting God in the Face of Fear. Trusting God in the Face of Fear. And I don't intend to sort of make every message about coronavirus season um, sort of indefinitely. But there's obviously a moment... To capture here and to speak into, in fact, I sent out a message to those who are, you know, members and attenders of our church or whatever, sent out a message this past week um, that in so many words said that, you know, that we don't want to waste this crisis. We want to really notice God has has, uh, slowed us down here and um, gotten our attention. And we want to notice what he's doing. What does he want to do in us? What does he want to show us about himself what does he want to show us about the church and what he intends to do in the church and so so we want to we want to notice that we want to pay attention and we want to speak into it and one of the things that's unique about moments like these is we experience things like fear and anxiety together at times like this most of the times when we're experiencing uh, fear about something or anxiety about something we do it kind of independently, we it, it's a common experience to everybody, for sure, but we don't all go through it at the same time. We have our own little episode or whatever, and we we sort of go through that personally. um here we're we're kind of going through the same thing collectively, and it, it's affecting different people in different ways and and probably to different degrees. But fear and anxiety are common to the human experience and uh, and certainly, there's good reason why they might be heightened in the hearts of people right now. I mean, two weeks ago, there were people who were just going to work, doing their thing, sort of minding their own business, so to speak. And then suddenly turn around twice, two weeks later, Friday, they're standing in the unemployment line going, how did I get here? And maybe they, didn't, maybe they, they aren't even there yet because they're not even sure what the next step is. But but suddenly, the rug's been pulled out from under them. High school seniors are getting ready to start their final quarter of their senior year. You know, the last hurrah and all the fanfare that comes with that. And suddenly, it's just called off. I uh, know that maybe that hasn't been declared with certainty here. Maybe they're holding out some hope um, that somebody is holding out some hope. Maybe that they'll go back to school. Probably many of them are not holding out that hope. But... Um, but anyway, that you know, things like that have just happened all of a sudden to people and 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 people are panicky. Um, everything is kind of laden with uh, uncertainty. Right? I mean, nobody's sure how long anything's going to last, what's next and so forth. And so that's where we are, sort of wearing all of that and the fear the feelings of fear and anxiety may even increase for people as time goes on. And what are we supposed to do? with that. We know we're supposed to trust God, right? As Christians, we know that's that's the right answer to the question. We're supposed to trust God. And and part of us wants to do that, but how do we really do that uh, when our when our heart is just weighed down by fear? It's easier said than done for sure sometimes. Well let's look at what Psalm 56 has to say to us about that. And I'm going to invite you, even if you're at home on your sofa And, uh, you know, in your pajamas and slippers or whatever, um, I'm going to invite you, as is our custom, to stand for the reading of the scripture. We'll uh, stay in that habit together. Um, You certainly don't have to do that. I won't know the difference if you're not. But um, out of honor for the word of God and also just, again, an extra measure of attentiveness to what he has to say to us. Psalm 56, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long and attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. My trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I. what can flesh do to me? Cause evil. They stir up my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we are thankful that we have a written word that is sure We thank you, Lord, that it declares to us that you are Lord over all of creation, everything visible and invisible in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And we belong to you and thank you, God, for that truth. As we open the scriptures today, we trust as always that you have something to say to us in them. And we ask that you would, you know, every heart, you know, every burden, you know, everybody, Lord, whose ears are tuned in to what you're saying right now, God, we pray you administer this truth as each one of us has need. And so we ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit, to your, through your servant, to your people, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may uh, notice uh, there's a title to the psalm. um, And in particular, what's noteworthy about that uh, this morning is that it was written in the context of when the Philistines had seized David in Gath. He had been fleeing from Saul. You may know the story of his life. He lived like for years on the run. Somebody's always in pursuit of him trying to take his life. So he he flees from Saul. He goes to Philistia because he knows Saul surely won't follow him to Philistia. He was right about that. But then he gets there and the Philistines recognize him. They go, hey, aren't you David? And so then he has to act insane just so like they won't bother him. So he goes like out of the frying pan into the fire from, from one pursuer to another. And that's the that's the setting in which he writes uh, Psalm 56, or at least the setting um, to which it refers. And so he, he sort of announces, as many Psalms do, he announces his troubles. And he, and he cries out to God with them. And you, you, you may kind of notice here the structure of this, that, you know, verses 1 and 2, um, he states his troubles. Verses 3 and 4, he makes just a declaration of trust. Uh, verses five through seven, I think there, Um, back to his troubles, eight through 11, again, a statement of trust. And then he finishes off in verses 12 through 13, just kind of this song of thankfulness. So so the outline there is trouble, trust, trouble, trust, thankfulness. And that actually becomes a really, really good outline for prayer for troubled hearts. And we're, we're going to come to that. Those are the observations we want to make about it in a minute. But really, the message of the psalm hinges on verse 3. And I would say if there's, a, if there's one verse in this psalm, you would want to memorize it, it'd be verse 3. In fact, it's, this is probably a good verse in all of the psalms to memorize. But it says in the ESV, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I remember it from the King James still, What time I am afraid. I will trust in thee. When I am afraid, when I'm afraid, not if. Again, it's a common experience to everybody. It's only just a matter of how often and to what degree. And it was a real common experience for David. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. You know, there are some people who struggle with fear and anxiety more than others. They're just more prone to it for whatever reasons. Who knows what all the different factors are that contributed to that. But some people are more prone to it than others. Uh, everybody's got their thing, right? Everybody's, uh, everybody's got something they're a little bit more susceptible to, more vulnerable to. Their fallenness is revealed um, a little bit more readily in different ways. For some people, you know, it's fear and anxiety. And so, and so just telling them to stop worrying is a waste of breath. It's like telling somebody to stop itching. You know, I mean, you, it, I'm, I'm itching all over. Well, why don't you just stop itching? Well, it's, you can't just stop itching, it just itches. And so telling somebody to stop worrying is, is about the same kind of thing. They aren't choosing to feel that way, it just, it just comes upon them. And many of us have experienced that in a fresh way this week. Maybe little waves and 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 uh, maybe not overwhelmed by that. Maybe not yet. Maybe that's to come for some later, but it, it just sort of comes like a wave. Sort of like in Psalm 55. I love the fact that these two are paired together. In fact, back in the summer when I did a series on Psalms, um, I preached through Psalm 55. But this is one of my favorite Psalms in in. Uh, and all the Psalms, this is probably one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. But in verses four and five, he says, my heart is in anguish within me. This is of, of Psalm 55, if you didn't catch that. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have come upon me and horror overwhelms me. You see, it's that kind of experience sometimes for people. It just it just comes on. You don't, you, you don't even see it coming. And there it is and And one of the significant things for us to understand um, about fear is that when it comes on it 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 basically pushes our trust out of alignment That's maybe one way of thinking about that our trust our trust gets dislocated uh, when fear comes on us and overwhelms us in that way and we're not conscious uh, of it being we don't think of this being a trust thing because it's not really in our head it's sort of everywhere else but in our head but um but essentially what's happening when, we, when we're afraid and especially when we abide in fear is that we're trusting that bad circumstances are going to remain bad. That things are going to turn out for the worse. We're, 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 we have confidence that's placed in something besides God or even our own ability to change anything. Our trust is kind of out of alignment. And so the challenge is, the task is to put our trust back where it belongs. Now, I wanna be quick to say, if, if, if all I've said so far hasn't, hasn't made this clear, um, I don't wanna oversimplify this fact. It's not just as easy as saying, oh, you mean I just have to trust God? Oh, okay, well, I'll do that and poof, my fears are gone. It just doesn't work that way. And we need to understand that about other people um, even if, we're, if we don't feel ourselves particularly prone to fear because we need to walk with one another through those kind of experiences. And there are lots of our brothers and sisters who need to have companions walking through uh, this time with them to put our trust back where it belongs, namely in God. And so uh, let's look here at what the Psalm here, Psalm 56 reveals. Uh, five steps to trusting God in the face of fear. Five steps to trusting God in the face of fear. Number one, make the practical and moral choices that you ought to make. Make the practical, choices, uh, practical and moral choices that you ought to make. In other words, be wise, be responsible, and walk in integrity. Now this is more implicit in the text rather than explicit. Um, but here, as elsewhere in the Psalms, David suggests that, his opposition and mistreatment that he's experiencing in here are undeserved. Like he, he, didn't, he didn't deserve this. They're in the wrong, not him. So you see things like verse two, they trample on me and attack me. They injure my cause or in, uh, the ESV says or in other translations, they twist my words. They Verse six, they stir up strife. And uh, I think it says, it makes reference even to uh, their crime, okay. So, so he's not in the wrong. They are. It doesn't mean that he's perfectly blameless as a human being. But it's just to say he hasn't he hasn't done anything that brought this on. Now, uh, the point here is not to say that we need to walk. Uh, sort of imperfect righteousness to know that we can call out to God and that He'll answer us in times of trouble. That's not the point at all. Grace is by definition unmerited. Okay, but but the point is for us that when when we've knowingly when when we've knowingly been unwise or irresponsible or immoral, our own confidence in our prayers is diminished. And, and maybe many of us have had that experience. Well, we're praying, we know he hears us, but we're not sure we believe that he ought to answer us. And so part of the point here, just making, making the practical choices, wise and responsible decisions uh, and, and, and righteous and, and, uh, decisions of sort of integrity so that our own confidence in our prayers is not hindered by our own actions. I won't belabor that point anymore. Number two, tell God specifically what you're fearful and anxious about. Tell God specifically what you're fearful and anxious about. In David's case, he specifies that his fear stems from these enemies um, trampling and attacking and oppressing. And verse six suggests his very life is at stake, that they're, they're waiting for his life. That's the source of his fear. Well, that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, I don't think anybody, because of COVID nineteen, um, anybody within the sound of my voice has really felt the imminent threat of death quite the way that David did. Um, there are some, obviously, around the world who have and um, and have experienced death actually through that. But by and large, our fears haven't risen to that level. But that's that's his. Fear, he tells God, in other words, exactly what he's afraid of. And so the question for you and me is, what are are you fearful or anxious about right now? What is it specifically? For some, it's just just the uncertainty of it all. It's just the uncertainty of it all because who knows where this thing is going? Some are afraid um, of getting sick and dying, and that is a fear. Even though they don't know anybody who has this virus, maybe personally, maybe they haven't encountered anybody who has it, they certainly don't have any symptoms themselves, there are people already afraid of what if. What if I get this and what if I die? There are probably far more people right now who are fearful about the financial future far more people right now in a very present way fearful about the financial future cuz they're wondering how bad is this going to get and how long is it going to last cuz people have already been out of work for a week or two and that's a week or two too long and they can't afford to be out of work for 2 or 3 days much less 2 or 3 weeks and they're asking what's going to happen if I don't have any income for 3 or 4 weeks there may be other there may be other fears other sources of anxiety in the hearts of people right now in our community, in our church. But the point is, name them specifically. Talk to God about what it is you're fearful about, just as David did. So we want to make practical and moral decisions we ought to make. We don't want to tell God specifically what we're fearful and anxious about. Number three, declare what the scriptures reveal to be true about God in relation to your fears. I I cannot overstate the importance of this, particularly with people who just struggle with anxiety a lot um, as an ongoing condition of life, if you want to say that. Declare what the scriptures reveal to be true about God in relation to your fear. Notice what David says in verse 8. He basically says, God knows how distressed I am. And I love this. I love this. He says in in verse eight, you have kept count of my tossings. Some translations say wanderings, I think. He's counted how much I have wandered and how much I've been tossed about in my distress. Think think about this. I, I just love the picture of this. When you toss and turn at night, when you, when you are, are just burdened with anxiety, when you, when you lay awake at night because your, your worries won't let you sleep, when you go to sleep and they wake you up again and you're tossing and turning, when you wake up in the morning and you feel like you haven't rested and you, and you knew I tossed and turned all night, the Bible says God has counted your tossings. He knows it better than you do. He's collected my tears, it says. He knows exactly how many of them been shed. He knows how many milliliters of teardrops are in that bottle. And it's recorded in his book. He's not missed anything. In other words, it has not gone unnoticed in God's eyes one bit. He knows how distressed I am. And then verse 9 says, David also knows God is for me. God is for me. And and one one of the greatest goals in dealing with fear and anxiety is to get yourself to where your heart really believes that. That God is for me. And so what's true about God concerning our fears right now? When we think about fears of sickness and death, what's true about God? Particularly for the believer in Jesus Christ, what's true about God? You know, for the person who who has not trusted in Jesus, then what's true about God in relation to death is not good news. But for the one who, who belongs to him, who is in Christ, for the one whose, whose sins have been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus, it is, uh, death is nothing to fear. He's conquered fear and death. He's taken the sting out of it. And what's true about God in relation to our, our fears of financial fallout what has God said about Himself? Well, all kinds of things, right? That He owns the cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills. That I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And all kinds of other things. You can, you can maybe think of them. If you can't think of them, you ought to search them out in the scriptures. Write them on sticky notes and put them all over your house. So you're declaring not only in a moment of prayer, but as you walk by the way that you are declaring what's true about God in relation to your fears about your financial future. And beloved, I, I, I know something about those kinds of fears and those kinds of uh, struggles and trials. We've been through them um, in our family and we have seen his remarkable faithfulness in providing. As a matter of fact, I'll just say, I'm um, kind of parenthetically for whoever this may help because I hadn't necessarily intended to, um, one of the sweetest provisions God ever made for us uh, one, of the, one of the biggest uh, steps in our life and growth and, 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 and one of the, the greatest open doors to moving us to where he wanted us to be was through a job layoff. It was, it was a lost job when we needed not to lose a job and were praying for provision and things appeared to go backwards rather than forwards. And it was a great, a great provision there. But what is true about God in relation to your fears, and make that a part of your prayer. Number four. Assert your trust in God. Just declare it again. We declared what is true about God, and then we're going to just assert or declare, proclaim our trust in God. Verses three and four. Um, make this point and sort of reiterate it. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Now, once again, do we expect that what what David experienced was as soon as he said that, all his fears just sort of went up to heaven? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He revisited this experience lots and lots and lots. Or else he just wrote a whole bunch of psalms about one bad experience. But I think uh, that's not the case. But notice that question: What can man do to me? I mean, the worst man can do is kill the body, but by that death. The, the, the believer in Jesus enters into the presence of God for eternity, paradise. Now, as we've considered before, I mean, for the, the fact is, we kind of think this earth is, this is a pretty good place. Like, this, this world's pretty good. We kind of like it. And even though we say, we talk about how wonderful heaven is, and nobody really wants to go there yet. Right? I want to go to heaven, but I want to go to Disney World first and I want to travel to Europe and I, and I want to do all the other things that are on you know, my bucket list or whatever because we think this world is a, is a pretty good place. But we find out in moments where, where it's just all upended that our hopes are set in the wrong place when they're set anywhere on this earth. But what can man do to me? Well, nothing of eternal significance the worst thing he can do actually renders the best thing that the believer can experience eternally. But the other thing that I want you to notice is that this particular prayer, and, and there are, again, 150 Psalms, and, and they all have kind of a different angle to it. But this particular prayer is not really dominated by request. He doesn't, uh, David doesn't say, God, please deliver me from my enemy. He, he, that is part of his request, and it's clear that's what he's seeking. But what is central to this particular prayer is a declaration of his trust in God. And as I alluded to before, it's really a major milestone in the life of a believer to get to the point where you're you're trusting God despite the dire circumstances, despite the fact that the circumstances are unchanged after you've prayed and fasted and wished they would be different, and worked for them to be different. But to really, really believe that a day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, as Psalm 84 says. To really believe that. That even if things on this earth go from bad to worse, even if they end uh, tragically, that, that just a moment with him, a moment in his glory would far surpass every good thing we've ever experienced on this earth. You know, Job went as far as to say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. What a a prayer it ought to be for us that we would get to that point in our life where our hope in him is so firm that even... Even if he were to slay us, we trust in him because he is good. His mercy endures forever. Number five, thank God for the ways he's demonstrated his faithfulness to you in the past. Thank God for the ways he's demonstrated his faithfulness to you in the past. The concluding verses 12 and 13 there are this refrain of thanksgiving. um, As I said that, you know, I, I must perform my vows to you, O God. He says, I will render thank offerings to you he's just he's just announced what his troubles are he's just saying i will trust in god and and immediately follows with i will render thank offerings he announces what god has done for him acknowledges his good that his goodness deserves a grateful response and that's been true of all of us that have walked with the lord for any length of time he has been good and we know it, and we have a story to tell about it, and we have reasons to express it to him. And this is where we draw from not only what the Bible reveals to be true about God, but what we have experienced to be true about God, that what the Bible says about him has been proved to us in personal ways because he has shown himself to be who he says he is to you and to me. And that's what we're drawing on when we express thankfulness, even while we are still laden with fear and anxiety. And Paul sums this all up beautifully in Philippians 4. If you think about it, it's a passage that's familiar to many of us. But but all, all of that outline, those five steps even, are almost summed up in the way Paul says to the Philippians at the end of verse 5 and then verses 6 and 7. Uh, of chapter four. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be, be made known to God. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's a promise. That is a promise, beloved, even while you can't imagine uh, getting the weight of this anxiety off of your chest right now. And if it's not right now, you know what it's like to go through it. And you know that feeling. You can't imagine the possibility of that being Uh, Lifted off of you. But he says, if we remember what's true about him, well, he's present. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the way we want to conclude our service today is, is responding to that word, Um, maybe in a variety of ways, and the worship team's gonna come forward to play um, just a a song of response for us, but we're just gonna make some space here um, in in terms of in our space, in our service, I guess metaphorically, we're gonna make some time. You have the space right where you're sitting in your living room. You probably don't have a very big uh, crowd with you there, wherever you are, but we wanna pray the way I just described. I mean, this, this, this may be for some the response uh, that you need to make. There are probably a few ways that you could respond. But in other words, we want to take time to actually tell him what it is uh, that is making us feel afraid or anxious right now. Tell him that and tell him what's true about him and tell him that you trust him in spite of the fact that all you can see is adversity right now? If you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, enter a comment maybe about something in uh, the service, one of the songs, something in the text here, or the message that really spoke to you in the service. Share that with others. Or maybe if you have something that you would like others to pray with you or for you about that if you were sitting in the sanctuary right now and we, we opened up that invitation to you, does anybody have anything you'd like us to pray for you about and you would will, be willing to share that publicly? Share it right there in the comment thread. And then others who are watching, you pray for those requests. If you don't feel comfortable uh, sharing it publicly, send us a private message right there on Facebook. Matter of fact, even while the song is going, um, we'll have have folks looking at that and praying for you about that. And um, again, as we did last week, you, you may want as part of this response to, uh, to make out your offering as we usually do in the service during this, uh, following this time of prayer. But just as really a thank offering in a special way, just more conscious of the fact that he's been faithful. And so it's an expression of thanksgiving for that. And we want to thank him even not just for what he has done in the past, But what he is going to do through this experience we're all going through right now, he has good plans in store. Um, Nothing will be lost about this and his economy. And we want to thank him for that, even before we see it, even before we've walked into it. And so while the worship team um, is playing and singing, would you just uh, respond in whatever way the Lord would lead you in prayer, in um, sharing with others uh, on Facebook, uh, comment thread there, um, or in whatever other way he might lead you.